I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. I want to teach on one of the basics of faith, one of the very foundational principles of uh, the subject of faith. Uh, Faith is an important thing when it comes to healing because we know that uh, in the four Gospels there are 19 individual cases of healings that are identified. seems like there's more than that because many of the Gospel writers give us uh, a record of the same event. But if you pull them all apart and set them side by side, you'll find out there are 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. Now, that does not count the, uh, the multitudes that were healed, the ten lepers and other groups that, uh, that are referred to. But of those 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry, 13 of them specifically identified the faith of the individual as being the necessary agent or the initiating agent, if you'll allow me to say it that way, uh, the initiating cause of them receiving their healing. Well, for that reason, you can't overemphasize the subject of faith. Because in Jesus' ministry, if over two-thirds, almost, well, really close to uh, three-fourths, 70%, I think it is, uh, uh, if 70% of the, mirror of the healings that occurred in Jesus' ministry, as recorded in the four Gospels, took place because of the faith of the individual, then why would we expect to get any different or better results in our ministry today? In other words, if faith was necessary for people to receive in Jesus' day, how much more necessary would it be to receive healing in our day? So for that reason... We want to examine the subject of faith from a little different angle, perhaps, and cover some things, perhaps, that you've heard before, but uh, hopefully we'll say them in a little different way that uh, will shine a new light on it. Mark chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 12. It says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus is, uh, this is the last week of Jesus' ministry, and he is traveling back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. It's about a four-mile walk, so it takes him about an hour each way. And he's, uh, he's traveling one morning to Jerusalem. And it says, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Now, one thing about, uh, and this is still true of uh, uh, fig trees in, in Jerusalem, in this part of the world today. We're used to trees having leaves, and then they grow fruit, and then the fruit grows and gets mature and stuff like that. That's not the way it works with fig trees in Israel. When the leaves come out, the fruit comes out at the same time. So when Jesus sees the fig tree with leaves on it, he assumes that it's got fruit on it. But he finds that there is no fruit on the tree. And so Jesus answered it, verse 14, Jesus is talking to trees. Got to watch out for those faith and healing preachers. And Jesus answered and said unto it. Now I want you to notice the Bible specifically says Jesus answered the problem that he faced. He spoke to the problem that was facing him. He spoke to the circumstance that he was faced with. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now it tells us in the next few verses what happened when Jesus went to Jerusalem. They go back to Bethany in the night. And in verse 20 it says, And in the morning as they pass by, they're on their way back from Bethany to Jerusalem once again. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Another translation says, Have the faith of God. Literally in the Greek it says, Reckon on God's faithfulness. I really like that. Reckon on God's faithfulness. Count on God's faithfulness. What Jesus is about to tell them, the principle that he's about to tell them, he's identifying as something that God is always faithful to honor. Reckon on God's faithfulness, or have faith in God. For, verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, 
Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, he tells him about how faith works in prayer. Therefore, I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray. Notice praying is not mentioned in verse 23. Now he's talking about faith in prayer. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 25 and 26, he talks about how you need to walk in forgiveness or walk in love in order for faith to work. But let's back up, and I want to deal specifically with verse 23 tonight. Notice that Jesus answered the disciples, answered Peter, when Peter says, Look, here's the fig tree that you cursed yesterday. Jesus does not say this would be a perfect, perfect opportunity. Never a better opportunity in all of his ministry than this one. For Jesus to identify these things happen because I'm the Son of God. Don't think you're going to get these kind of results, but this is to prove that I'm the Son of God. Now, that's what a lot of the church world thinks about the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. They think Jesus healed the sick to prove he was the Son of God. They think that he did miracles to prove that he was the Son of God. But every place, miracles and healings and different uh, things take place, Jesus identifies to the disciples, either at that point or at some later point in his ministry, that we are designed and and ordained to do the same works that he did. Never does Jesus say, don't try this at home. Never does Jesus say, this is unique and special just to me because I'm the Son of God. I'm somebody you never can be, and so don't think that you're going to get the same results. Never is that the case. When Jesus walked on the water and the disciples saw him, they thought that it was a ghost. They were afraid, and Jesus uh, spoke to them and said, don't be afraid, it's just me. Peter immediately said, Peter understood this. He got this. Now, as dull as Peter may have been in other things... This is one characteristic about him that we should emulate. Peter understood that if Jesus is doing it, so can I. Because he said to Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus said, come. He didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the Son of God operation. This is not for normal people like you. This is unique for me. No. Everything Jesus did, no matter how miraculous, the disciples understood that they could do the same thing that Jesus did. And in fact, Jesus is doing things to show them what they can do. So here's another example. Jesus said, here's how this works. That's what verse 22 means, where he says, have faith in God. He's saying, here's how this works. Now, if it works for them, it'll work for us. Or else, God is a respecter of persons and the Bible is a lie. Because the Bible very clearly says God is no respecter of persons. That means what he'll do for one, he'll do for another. Now, God may not have the same plan for your life that he has for my life or somebody else's life. But the same things belong to us through Christ Jesus and they belong to everybody. The same salvation belongs to us. The same miracle possibilities belong to us. The same power of the Holy Ghost belongs to each and every person, each and every believer. And if that's not true, then God is a respecter of persons and the Bible lied to us about it. So Jesus is saying, here's how this works. Now, here's how what works. Here's how you can change circumstances in your life. Here's how you can remove unfruitful circumstances in your life. That's what Jesus was faced with. He was faced with a tree that should have produced fruit for him, but it didn't. In other words, this is a bad business deal. This is an opportunity that God intended to be to uh, uh, make provision for Jesus. That's why the tree is in there. That's why the tree was created. That's why the tree grew. That's why the leaves are on the tree, to produce fruit for mankind. But it's not producing fruit for mankind. So Jesus takes an unfruitful tree, an unfruitful circumstance, and he removes it. 
from his life. Nobody else is ever going to have to deal with this. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Jesus does not look at the tree and say, next year you better produce double. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And then the disciples call it to his attention. Peter calls it to his attention. And he says, here's how this works. Well, how does it work, Jesus? Notice verse 23. For verily I say unto you, whosoever. Everybody say whosoever. Now, does that indicate that there are special ones? Does that indicate that some people are going to have this thing called faith and other people are not? That's one of the gripes that you have uh, with people where healing is concerned. You tell them that faith is necessary and you try to get them to, to, uh, to build their faith and so forth. And people will say, many times people will say, well, Pastor Mike, I just don't have faith like you do. Well, you can. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Whether or not somebody has faith is not up to God, it's up to them. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, first thing, the first statement that he makes about this principle, about how this works, he said, whosoever, it belongs to everybody. It'll work for anybody. It'll work for everybody. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Basically, he's saying this. We can summarize this verse by saying this very simply. Believe in your heart and say with your mouth and you'll have what you say. If you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, you will have what you say. Because the only condition he made on having what you say is either believing in your heart and and or keeping your heart from doubt. Now, look at that again with me. He said... Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Here's the only condition. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in the heart, he must be talking about believing in the heart, shouldn't he? And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What does it mean? Very simply, what does it mean To believe with the heart. If we can understand what it means to believe with the heart, anybody can say. Anybody can speak words. And Jesus said that if you meet the condition of believing in your heart, that you'll have whatever you say. That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it would be, except it's a principle of God. And notice again, Jesus said in verse 23, have faith in God. In other words, this is the principle that God always honors. Always. Never fails. He always honors it. What does it mean to believe with the heart? Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Paul is writing to the Jewish believers. And he's telling them about a story that they all know very well. It's part of their history. It's part of their heritage. And so in chapter 3, he is speaking of a time when Israel was at the edge of the promised land. You remember the story about how they were in bondage in Egypt. Moses led them through, uh, led them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army chased over them, chased after them, and the, the sea came together again and drowned uh, Egypt and all of his armies. Well, or Pharaoh and his armies. Israel went over on dry ground, and as, from that point they went to Mount Sinai. They received the law, and then it took them about, um, well, it was about two years from the time that they came out of Egypt to when they got to the promised land, the edge of the promised land. 
And at that point in time, they sent spies into the, into the land of uh, Canaan, 12 spies. And those spies came back and they brought fruit of the land. They brought uh, evidence of what they'd seen. And so they gave their report. Ten of them came back and said, we can't take the land because there are giants in the land. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, we're well able to do it because God's on our side. Israel sided with the majority report. And as a result, it cost them 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. Now, the Bible calls that the day of provocation. It's the day that Israel provoked God. Stop and think about this from God's perspective. God brought them to the promised land not so that they could wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but so that they could go into the promised land. It was the will of God for them to go in. See, a lot of people have the idea that whatever God wills trumps everything, and that's not true. For example, God wills for everybody to be saved, but not everybody is. God didn't force you to get saved. He willed for you to be saved, and Jesus died for your sins as well as he died for mine and the rest of the world. But you know as well as I do that there are people that you're acquainted with that are not saved even though Jesus paid the price. Why? Doesn't God want them to be saved? The Bible says God wills for every man to be saved. It says it's the will of God for everybody to be saved. Then why isn't everybody saved? Because not everybody chooses to be. In other words, their will can trump God's will. And that's the way God set it up too. He set man on the earth with a free will and choice. It's your will that determines what you're going to have, not God's will. Once we find out God's will in his word, that gives us a foundation to operate from. But then it's up to you. A lot of people aren't happy to hear that news. They want to sit back and just say it's all over on God. Whatever God wants is the way it's going to turn out. But that's not the way it works, folks. God puts you in charge here on the earth. God's a gentleman. He doesn't force you into anything. He allows you to choose to operate according to his plan and purpose, but he doesn't force you to do it. Hebrews chapter 3. Notice verse 7. It says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. This is the day that, the, that Israel believed the majority report, the ten spies, and refused to go into the promised land, even though it was the will of God for them to take it. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, here's God speaking, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That means the land of promise, the uh, land of Canaan. Take heed, verse 12 is what I want you to see. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So what it's telling us is this. It's saying that Israel, in the Old Testament, the story is in Numbers chapter 13. The story in Numbers chapter 13 where Israel fails to go into the promised land, refuses to go into the promised land because of the giants and the cities with the walls around them and so forth. It says that that was an example of an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. Now let's, let's use some terms here. Remember our, our text scripture in uh, Mark chapter 11 verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So we've got believe and we've got doubt. Believing is the action that results from a condition of being in faith. 
Doubt is the action that results from being in a condition of unbelief. So doubt and unbelief are on one side. Faith and believing are on the other side. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. Doubt is the opposite of belief. So if it says that we shouldn't doubt in our heart, but we should believe instead in our heart for the principle of faith to work, then when we see that they had an evil heart of unbelief, that brought them to the, that was the condition that brought them to take the action of doubt. What did they do? If we can identify what they did, then we can see what doubt really is. We can see what doubting in your heart is because they had an evil heart of unbelief. What did they do? Very simply, they acted and spoke according to what they saw and what they felt. They said there are giants in the land. And those giants live in cities with big walls around them. And we are in our own sight as grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, that wasn't true. They find out 40 years later that the people inside the land of Canaan, the land, the promised land, have been wondering, where have you guys been? We thought you were going to take us over 40 years ago. Because we heard about what God did for you and when he brought you over the Red Sea and parted the waters. We've been afraid waiting for you, just thinking any day now you could come take us over. Yet Israel thought, the ten spies thought, that the children of Canaan, the people that lived in the land of Canaan, saw themselves as more powerful than they saw the Israelites. The Israelites saw themselves as less powerful than the Canaanites. But it wasn't true. So what did they do? They spoke, they said, we are not able to take the land, for there are giants in the land. They spoke according to what they saw, and they spoke according to what they felt. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, calls it in Numbers chapter 13, an evil report. They brought up an evil report of the land through which they had searched it, saying, we are not able to take the land. So an evil heart of unbelief, or doubt, in other words, is saying that which you see and feel instead of what God's word says. So we can turn it around. We can see what faith is then. Faith is speaking according to what God says or according to what you believe, not based on or independent of, maybe a better way to say it is, speaking God's word independent of what you see or feel. Now, with that definition, turn back with me to Mark chapter 11. Peter calling to remember it said, Master of the fig tree, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Here's the principle that God honors. Here's the principle that always works. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take just a moment to, uh, while you're turning back to Mark chapter 11, to refer to this. In uh, Numbers chapter 14, after Israel sides in with the ten spies and says, oh, this is terrible. It would have been better for us if we had died in Egypt. Uh, it's too late. We've already been delivered from that. But it would be better for us to die in the wilderness. God says something in Numbers chapter 14. I think it's about verse 13. He says this. He said, verily, verily, as truly as I live, saith the Lord. Now, we think of that just as King James English. Flowery English speech and doesn't mean too much. But that means a lot. Because when God says, verily, verily, he's saying, truly, truly. In other words, he's establishing something that never changes. One translation says, this is the oracle of God. An oracle is an an unchanging, eternal law. So God is literally saying, 
I am making you aware of an unchanging law. It's a spiritual law. It'll never change. It won't change while we're here on the earth. It won't change when we get to heaven. It's eternal. Because God said, verily, verily, as truly as I live. Well, how true is it that God lives? Folks, that's absolute. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word never fails. Nothing about God will ever change. God's here from the beginning, before the beginning ever was, and he'll be here until whatever is considered the end occurs. He's eternal. He's forever. So when God says truly, truly, or verily, verily, he's saying as truly as I live, this is the law that will never change. It's an eternal law. It will never change. And here's what he said the eternal law was. As you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. Here's the unchanging law of God. You'll have what you say. The unchanging law of God is you will have what you say. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, reckon on God's faithfulness. Here's the unchanging law, New Testament version. Here's Jesus' explanation of the never-changing eternal law of God. You will have what you say. And therefore, Jesus says, that's why I got what I said about the fig tree. Because it's the law of God. Now, here's the, here's the qualifier. You can't just go around saying a bunch of stuff. There has to be a foundation for what you say. And so Jesus said... Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And here's the condition. And shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, and shall not speak according to what he sees or feels instead. But shall believe. Continue to say, independent of what you see or feel. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, here's the question. If we say one thing, for example, if we say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, yet we see in our body sickness continue to, to advance. If we feel in our body that, that healing has not occurred, why in the world would we continue to say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus? There's only one reason. And that is we believe that what we say will come to pass because God's word said so. Otherwise, you're crazy to. And that's the way a lot of the world looks at us. They say, these people are crazy. They're saying things that obviously contradict what they see. They say things that obviously contradict what they feel. Why do they keep saying things that are not in line with what they see and what they feel? Because what we see and what we feel is the real world. Well, it may be the real world, but there's something that's more real than that. And that is the unchanging law of God, that if you speak God's word independent of what you see and feel, you will have what you say. And that's what Jesus is telling us. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not die in his heart, shall not change his speech because of what he sees or feels. But instead shall believe in his heart. Independent of what he sees and feels, because he believes what he says shall come to pass, that man will have whatsoever. Now, what is the limit on whatsoever? What's the boundary on whatsoever? That seems like an unlimited term, doesn't it? He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus uses some pretty absolute terms. He says he shall have. He didn't say he might have. He didn't say the chances are good. He didn't say the odds are in his favor. He said he shall have 
whatsoever he saith. He's not leaving any wiggle room here. He's saying this is the way it is. Well, if it's an unchanging eternal law of God, it is the way that it is. F.F. Bosworth was a man that was greatly used in healing ministry. His, uh, he's the author of the classic book, Christ the Healer. If, uh, if you're building a, a library of good healing books, Christ the Healer ought to be number one on the list. It's an outstanding book. And it's got some pictures from uh, some of his crusades. And, and uh, way back in the early 1900s, he had just tremendous crowds and, and tens of thousands of people in, in auditoriums in different places and, and um, uh, had one of the most outstanding healing ministries of uh, uh, well up to that point in time at least. And he, he told a story. He tells a lot of uh, testimonies that uh, they received. Uh, he had a radio program for many years and people would write in and uh, uh, send him testimonies off of the radio program just where he's teaching faith and healing and so forth. And uh, one of the testimonies that, uh, that he told I, I thought was, uh, was very instructive in, along this line. He said, in, uh, um, and again, this was in the early, um, well, probably 1920s, somewhere around there. He said that there was a lady that wrote in and said that she had been diagnosed as uh, having multiple ulcers in her stomach. And as a result, the doctors couldn't do anything for her. I mean, you can't take off the stomach. What are you going to do then, you know? And uh, so the doctors really couldn't do anything for her, so they, they put her on a, a real uh, almost pure liquid diet. She couldn't have hardly anything except a little mush and, and that kind of stuff, and it was hard to keep on her stomach. It was very painful for her to eat and couldn't hardly keep any food on her stomach. And uh, she had heard uh, Brother Bosworth teaching on the radio, and he was always big on the point of contact. One of the things about Brother Bosworth, and, and he... Uh, to the best of our knowledge, he coined the phrase point of contact. And he talked about having a specific point, a specific moment in time where you released your faith. So many times faith is this uh, uh, nebulous thing to, to so many people. It's kind of like a cloud in the sky. It's, it's something that people say, yeah, I have faith, but what does that really mean? There has to be a point where you release your faith, where you know this is what I believe, this is what I've extended my faith toward, whether it's to receive healing or whatever the case is. Faith works the same in every area. And so he said this, uh, uh, this lady had heard him talk about having a point of contact. And uh, uh, she was uh, visiting the doctor regularly and, and that kind of stuff. There wasn't really too much that he could do for her, but he was keeping a close eye on her and, and, and uh, that type of deal in the small town where she lived. And uh, so anyway, she said she heard of him talk about, heard Brother Bosworth talk about this point of contact. So she said, when you prayed on the radio on such and such a date, she said, I use that as my point of contact. Brother Bosworth would even tell people, lay your hands on the, on the radio. Touch something. Touch the radio. Let that be a point of contact. Let that be something where you know, here's the moment that I'm extending my faith to receive my healing. So she said, I did that. I t- reached out and put my hand on the radio as you prayed as a point of contact. She said, now, after you prayed, you encouraged people. You told us. Now, you keep saying, I've received my healing in the name of Jesus. And she said, uh, you went on to say, if the symptoms persist, speak to them. She said, well, the next day I woke up and she said, I was no better. She said, I was so encouraged. I went to bed that night and I thought, yes, praise God, I'm going to wake up in the morning and everything's going to be all right. These ulcers are going to be gone. She said, I got up and prepared, you know, ready to fix myself a big healthy breakfast, a hearty breakfast, that kind of thing. She said, nothing had changed. She said, I was so discouraged, so downcast. She said, I fixed myself a little mush, whatever she made herself, and it, it came right back up. She said, I just started to cry. I thought, oh, I, I thought it was going to work. She said, I listened to you on the radio that day. 
And you said, you were talking about our words, the importance of our words. And you said these words. You said, some people think that all you have to do is say one time, speak to sickness one time, and that's the end of it. But you said that if symptoms persist, every time the symptom raises up, you speak to it and say, symptom, you have to leave my body. You can't stay on my body because I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, a light came on for me. She said, I realized, wait a minute, this isn't just a one-time thing. It was, the point of contact was a one-time thing. That was where I extended my faith. But I've got a responsibility to keep speaking the word of God over my body. She said, so every morning, every time during the day, whenever I'd fix myself something to eat, whenever my, I'd start feeling nauseous and, or whatever the case is, sometimes it'd come back up. Not every time, but sometimes it'd come back up. I'd say, nausea, you can't stay in my body. Ulcers, you cannot remain in my body in the name of Jesus because I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, it became something that I said over and over and over again. After a couple of weeks, my husband said, why do you keep saying that? She said, because it's true. She got all over him. I mean, she got right in his face because it's true. She said, he left me alone after that. Every time the circumstance arose, every time the symptom raised its head, she would speak to it. She'd say, you cannot remain in my body. Because I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, this continued for six months. One morning I got up. She said, I just kind of accepted. Okay, this is the way it's going to be. If it's this way forever, the word of God's still true. One morning after about six months, I got up and didn't realize till I'd gotten through feeding my husband, feeding my kids, getting them off to school and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't realize that my stomach wasn't hurting. I didn't realize, take notice, that I didn't have that sickly feeling that I usually woke up with. She thought... Well, what in the world is this? She's looking for the symptoms and can't find them. So she said to herself, well, I'm going to fix myself some breakfast. So she fixed herself a healthy and a hearty breakfast, big old breakfast, bacon and eggs and all this kind of stuff. Ate a big breakfast. I hadn't eaten anything solid for many, many years. She had been healed perfectly well from that moment forward. Now, what if she had given up? What if she had done it for a week and said, well, I guess it's not working. Do you realize the number of times every day that she had an opportunity to change what she said? Do you realize the number of times that she had a feeling, she had a pain, she had some kind of nausea or something that she saw in her body? I mean, you can well imagine you're going to be losing weight if you're not eating any solid food for as long as she has. How many opportunities would she have every day and every week to change what she was saying? Because of what she saw or what she felt. That's what Jesus is talking about. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. And shall not change what he's saying because of what he sees and feels. That guy will have what he says. Because that's faith. Because that's believing in the heart. Somebody told me... um, uh, James Roberts came and uh, told me after uh, last Sunday's service, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, well, I shouldn't have given his name because now I can't give you all the details of the story. Anyway, James is part of our church, has been for a long time. He came upon a medical situation uh, several years ago, visited him in the hospital, and uh, it was real critical. And he's a young guy, younger than I am, and that's real young. And uh, anyway, he, um, uh, he was in the hospital, and, and he was facing a, a, a decision to make, about uh, about his heart 
And the doctors wanted to put uh, a defibrillator or whatever they call those things in, in, uh, uh, in his heart. And he didn't know if he wanted to do that. And he was talking to a couple of different doctors and, and that kind of stuff. Well, long story short, he decided to go ahead and have it done. And the doctors told him, now, this is the way it's going to be from now on. He had that and he had some kind of stent put in there that would uh, provide him certain medications or, or whatever. Well, James had always been a, a, an exercise guy. And uh, as a matter of fact, when he first had the, the problem with his heart, he was out exercising, he was out running. And uh, so he, he got back into his, his uh, exercise regimen. The doctors, you know, told him, take it easy, but we want you to exercise. We want you to take care of yourself. So he had worked himself back up to where he's exercising regularly and, and so forth over a period of about two years. And um, uh, the upstart of the story is, after a couple of years... Just here within the last few weeks, he had another episode. And this defibrillator, whatever it does, it, it shocks your heart. It monitors your heart rate and your heartbeat or whatever it is. And, and if it's not doing right, then it gives you a little, little shot. And uh, shock is what I mean. And so it did that. And it knocked him for a loop. Well, the doctors got to examine him. They started doing some tests. And they found out that the problem was that he had strengthened his heart to such a point that he didn't need the defibrillator anymore. And the defibrillator, I don't know how I'm saying this, I'm not saying it right, but this defib thing, it was such that did not read the normal irregular heartbeat that it was used to, but when his heart started beating regularly, it went haywire and kind of shocked him. And so they wound up taking the whole thing out. Now, the doctors told him, they told him when it went in that that would never be taken out, and they told him as they were taking it out, we've never taken this out before. You're not supposed to be able to reestablish a strong and healthy heart like you're doing. Now, they're all concerned for him. You've got to understand, doctors are all concerned. We want to keep an eye on you. We want to make sure everything's okay and so forth. But they've done the test. They know that everything is back to normal, better than it was when they first got involved. Well, how'd that happen? He was telling me the story, and so I just patted him on the back, and I said, Well, James, I'm proud of you. God's word works. He said, well, no, I'm proud of you for teaching the word. I said, no, I'm proud of you for making the word work. So we laughed and, and, you know, kind of went back and forth with it a little bit. And I said, no, really, I want you to know something. I said, I really am proud of you. A lot of people wouldn't have taken it, you know, taken hold of it like you did and made it work. And he stopped and he started to walk off and then turned around and came back. And he said, Mike, he said, you know, one of the things about this, he said, I've had people tell me that I believe God and it didn't work. And he said, they don't understand that you have to keep speaking to the symptoms. He said, there were a lot of days when my heart wasn't doing right. And I had to speak to it and say, no, heart trouble, you can't stay in my body. I've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. He said, there were a lot of days that I had pain. And the devil was right there saying that pain meant that you're having another heart attack or another one's coming or whatever the case is. He said, and I'd have to speak to it. And I said, no, pain, you can't stay in my body. I think a lot of people fail to realize That faith means every opportunity that you're faced with an unproductive or a contradicting circumstance, a circumstance that contradicts the truth of God's word, that's your opportunity to answer it just like Jesus answered the tree. It doesn't happen just because you say it once. Now, if you had perfect faith like Jesus did, maybe it would work that way. But my faith is still in development. Isn't yours? I don't know if I'll ever get to the place where I'll only be able to say things one time and it'll always work like it did for Jesus. And you know what? That's not an important thing to me. Because the unchanging law of God is you'll have what you say. So I want to make sure that I'm saying it enough. 
God said in Numbers chapter 14, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto you. I want to make sure he hears me. Folks, faith is not a one-time thing. There may be a one-moment point of contact where you release your faith. But from that point, you've got to keep your faith active by your words. And it's not a sign of unbelief that you're saying something over and over and over again. You speak to the circumstances that exist. If the circumstance persists, then so should your words. That the circumstances aren't persisting, okay. You're not under any obligation to speak to them. But every time a circumstance raises its head up against me, I say, nope, you can't stay in my body. Whatever it is, pain, symptom, whatever, you've got to leave my body because I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. I want to keep my faith active. Amen? You'll have what you say. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank your word is true. Thank you for the unchanging, eternal law of God. That as we have spoken in your ears, so shall you do unto us. Father, we therefore declare that Jesus is our healer. We declare that we have been healed by the stripes of Jesus, that Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our infirmities, and with his stripes, we are healed. And if pain comes, we'll speak to the pain. If circumstances and symptoms arise and persist, we'll speak to the circumstances and symptoms because healing is ours. Oh, thank you, Father, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You said that your word would not return unto you void, Father. Therefore, every time we speak your word, it adds power to that which we believed. And even as the doctors would give us treatments that would, uh, that would attempt to drive sickness out of our bodies, we thank you that the power of your word, when we speak it from our lips, drives circumstances and symptoms away. Oh, thank you, Father, that we're healed. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.